Live from an undisclosed location in Las Vegas, it is Chad Graf from The Athletic making his return to the podcast. We are going to cover some East West Shrine Bowl. We are going to cover a Patriots coaching staff so quietly in flux and not just titles that normally they hide until July and then we don't really find out until they put out the media guide. But it's a big day here in Massachusetts where the weather oddly is the same as it's been in Las Vegas and that's because betting is finally official. It's open. And so I want to start in the obvious place for a man in Las Vegas. On a big day here in Massachusetts, Chad Graff goes to Encore or MGM or pick your casino or bet online at AG, where you should definitely go for all your betting needs. Uh, you land at Logan later today, I think. You go to one of those places. What's your first bet that you're putting down? I live in Plainville, so that's going to be nice and easy, right? At that Plain Ridge Casino out uh, by Foxborough. I am a sucker for uh, one particular thing, which is that um, this job has stripped me from a lot of fandom but not yet my fandom for Nebraska football. No. still care way too deeply about Nebraska football, born into a Nebraska family. I was the first one not to go to Nebraska, but still care way too much about it. And around this time every year, I'll get on the phone with my dad just catching up. And inevitably it turns to, you know, I'm getting pretty optimistic about things this year. I'm liking the recruiting class. We're hearing good things about the quarterback. This is exciting. So I am Despite how poorly it went at the joint practices that we saw oh six months ago, I am all in on Matt Rule at Nebraska. I think it's going to go well. I'm hammering the over on Nebraska wins. I don't even know what it is yet, but it's going to go over. Um, so I love that. I would like to potentially dabble in a little bit of golf. So I'm thinking um, Max Homa to win the Masters. Something Ooh. get some decent odds on that. Uh, but if we if we had to look more immediately, I don't know about you, but I've I've really gone back and forth on this Super Bowl, um, both on what would be a better story and who's going to win. Um, right now, I'm, I think I'm going Chiefs, but right after the game, I thought Eagles. A um, couple weeks for Mahomes' ankle to get better. I, I think I'm taking the Chiefs. All right. Wow. So we... <laughs> we're, we're, we're all around. We're, we're yeah. golf, college football. Got to hit the Super Bowl since that's coming up. You've been waiting for this longer than anyone, it sounds like. that. That's what this is getting at. You have been waiting for someone to ask you this question, and here it is. I did it. The floodgates have opened. I thought I did a betting podcast with Mike Manansky last week or two weeks ago. Here you are ready to do another one and not letting me know. Um, we, in we all seriousness, no. for a reason. Yeah, right, right. You know, if you do, mobile betting is not open right now in Massachusetts, so that's going to have to wait a little bit. When it is, go to betonline.ag. Um, this podcast also brought to you by Athletic Greens. Moving on from that, um, I mentioned you're in Las Vegas. You have been there for four days, each of the practice where the Patriots are coaching a bunch of college prospects on the West team. And there'll be a game on Thursday, and it'll be, I think, on the NFL Network or televised somewhere. Um, and these are mostly day two, early day three, maybe late day three prospects. But the interesting part about the Patriots coaching staff being there is, A, it's the first time ever at the Shrine Bowl that NFL coaching staffs have been there. Or the Patriots really have had an opportunity to be selected there or at the Senior Bowl. So they're coaching different positions. O'Brien is there in a quote-unquote supervisory role. So is Belichick, though you see him grabbing the shoulder pads of some defensive linemen, which isn't so, you know, supervisory. But I, I want you to kind of set the scene for us because we'll dive into more specifics. You're there for four days. You're watching. You're observing. You're talking to Troy Brown, who spoke after most of those practices. What have you learned? What does it look like? It looks so, so different than whatever we're used to with the New England Patriots to the point where 
go to the check-in table one day. It's all at the UNLV practice uh, facility. And you check in, you get your credential, turn the corner, and it's just this outdoor football field, a practice field. And guys are on it, and everybody, there's just tons of people on the sidelines. And so I'm thinking, okay, that these must all be scouts, executives, whomever, someone from the league. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I see bleachers, so that must be it. So I'm kind of meandering my way. Um, happen to bump into like a, a Viking scout that I somewhat know. So catching up with him, hey, what's going on? And finally, at the end, I'd I'd be like, hey, um, I know this is gonna be weird, but where am I? Where am I supposed to stand? Go? Like I've never been here. I've never done one of these. And he was like, you don't know. I was like, no. He goes, you can shit. You can walk onto the field if you want. You can go anywhere you want. You can stand next to me. You can stand next to the scouts. You're on the sideline. So a little um, different than one Patriot place training. Camp, one Patriot camp. place, like cornered into a five yard space, elbow to elbow with everybody yeah. else looking through binoculars. Uh, this was like, you're standing on the 50 on the sideline um, next to six foot six players. And um, so it's so different in that respect. Um, and just, you know, a good chance for if you want to do player interviews or uh, even just see, like, this is my first year doing the Patriots. I, I don't know that I, you know, would have been able or watched many times Ross Douglas, you know, going through his position. We get 10 or 15 minutes of practice. You're quickly seeing who's there, who's not there, taking a picture or video of Mac Jones, uh, seeing how his ankle looks. And then that's it. And you're out. Um, so this was a chance kind of to see more of how they're operating, too. Which I think is so important, right? Because we, you know, discuss the quality of coaching a lot and a lot of the assessment, including on this podcast and, and things you've written about, are about what we see on Sundays. And obviously the most important part, you coach to win and the things you do to affect winning or prevent your team from winning are things that we can grade in our see in our public. But most of the job, Monday through Saturday, is in those practices where we get in, see them stretch and are told to leave. So now that you get that experience of who's a little bit more hands-on, how do you communicate, who seems to be developing guys, which you can only see so much in four days, is really interesting and valuable. So I think apply that knowledge and background when you come back as we discuss guys like Ross Douglas, who you mentioned, who's wide receivers coach, not assistant wide receivers coach, but the same title as Troy Brown, who is the head coach this week, and Douglas is the offensive coordinator. And on the defensive side for this West team, the Patriots have co-defensive coordinators, Mike Pellegrino, who coaches corners, and then Brian Belichick, who coaches safety. So everyone's gotten a little bit of a bump up. Other coaches, Vinny Sinceri, normally at the running backs, I think it was at wide receivers this week. Any of those coaches really quickly stand out or someone maybe surprised you in the way that they went about their business, which is most important, the hands-on development, teaching, the coaching part of coaching? There were a couple, and I think this one to me was a surprise both for the fact that he's here and was coaching a position in this case, coaching the running backs, Evan Rothstein, who had been billed as like the Ernie Adams for Matt Patricia. They were in Detroit together. Um, Rothstein preceded Patricia in Detroit, but then got along. Apparently Detroit reporters would tell you very well with Patricia. And then when Patricia came back to new England, followed him to new England. Um, it, it seems, I think it's fair to say that Matt Patricia will not be, Returning to the Patriots, what his role eventually is, what his next job is, we'll see. But it was interesting to me that Rostin was um, not just that he's going to stay as an offensive assistant, but that he was given a position group to coach. This is not a guy who has ever coached positions before. He's always been a research um, guy or a vague offensive assistant, what have you. Um, so to see him coaching the running backs was interesting, especially since if 
the Patriots don't bring back Damian Harris, or frankly, even if they do, and they just want like that Ty Montgomery sort of player. Um, this is this is a spot where I think they could be looking at a day three running back, and they had a plenty of day three running backs to work with. So that that's a meaningful role for him to be um, having and and working with, and you know was around them at all times. Rothstein's a really interesting name for the reasons that you mentioned. Not only his Patricia connection, does he stay behind if Patricia leaves, which is still, as far as I've heard, undecided. But his absence there obviously is notable. Nick Haley also was not there um, in, in Las Vegas. But Rothstein is someone who was more involved in the game planning part that I learned as the season went on than most people knew. Again, because he's in this nebulous kind of role, right? Like the Ernie Adams stuff faded away a little bit he's assisting with the quarterbacks but then he's designing a lot of the passing game in the red zone which as we know was dreadful so where does his value in there and that's where I think some of the politics kind of seeps in who makes the calls at Bill O'Brien or Bill Belichick where does he return how does he return is TBD I think that point is largely true though for the whole staff because again you know they're interviewing offensive line coaches supposedly Ryan Wendell from the Bills came out interviewed in Las Vegas Adrian Clem had another interview with the Patriots so this, this coaching staff is not set in stone yet. And a lot of people wonder who's going to be in what spot. Rothstein, Cam McCourt, Joe Judge, who was out there after the Shrine Bowl set initially. He wasn't going to be out there. But let's stay with Belichick and O'Brien for a second. Um, what was their interaction like? How much was O'Brien interacting with the new assistants? Was he standing back? Was he hands-on? What would you see from both of them? Way, way, way more hands-on than I thought. Like, <laughs> this was all billed as, look, Troy Brown's going to get to be the head coach and – Rostin's going to be with the running backs and whatever. And all of these guys are going to get to basically bump up a couple of levels, take on more responsibility than they usually do. And the big names, um, including judge O'Brien Belichick are just supervisory roles. And so I kind of thought that would mean having never done one of these, not really knowing what to expect. I assume supervisory role meant like they're going to sit up on a perch on the rooftop of the UNLV facility and just look down and watch. And then O'Brien was standing and working with the quarterbacks like almost the entire time. And Bill, as uh, some of the tweets have shown, is legitimately like grabbing the shoulder pads of these prospects. And no, no, I want your swim move to look like this or come up this gap or whatever. So it was way more hands-on. Even Judge, who I think it's noteworthy, was not just spending time with special teams, uh, but was with the offense and was with quarterbacks and next to O'Brien. Um, and working with wide receivers. So they were all way more hands-on than I expected. They were at every practice except for the one on Monday morning when it was 45 degrees and raining. Uh, (laughs) The supervisory role attendees perhaps said, Troy Brown, this is your real chance to really lead the guys while it's freezing out here. So good luck uh, with that one. Um, So we'll see. I, I, I was frankly very surprised. And I do think, and we can get into this later, but I do think, that this is their chance to kind of have an advantage over a lot of teams with these day three picks. You're not getting an advantage coaching at the Shrine Bowl um, of first round guys. Like the best guy here is Zay Flowers from Boston College. Everybody's going to know him. Uh, Everybody's done their homework on him, watched it. He's going to be a top 50 pick, maybe a first rounder. Um, So you're not getting a huge advantage by hanging out with him, seeing him first person. You are getting a big advantage on these Guys who are, you know, somewhere between a preferred undrafted free agent to fifth, sixth round pick. Like those are the guys that you can, um, I think, really get an advantage over the teams and who are not here coaching. So while the Patriots season might be over, football is not. 
And you can continue to bet and win money off of football at betonline.ag because BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, next season, next year, for the next decade. Everything from the NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC and MMA and more is at betonline.ag. We'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. With live betting options, jump in in the second quarter, third quarter, doesn't matter. Plus, free contests and live scores, you can win money on almost any sport imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So, head to the website today or use your phone and join with the promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 to get a 50% 5 0 welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that's CLNS50 to receive your rewards at where else? BetOnline.ag, where the game starts i just want to go back a couple of minutes because it made me laugh inside for the folks who could tell on youtube that i was not laughing but just the idea of bill o'brien and bill belichick perched up as you said it looking down as if they were the old guys from the muppets just pointing at drills <laughs> and laughing and roasting everyone from afar like i would thoroughly enjoy kind of the director's yeah. cut of the the coaches tape of these practices was just their commentary back oh <laughs> yeah. uh, just maybe, yeah, maybe they, next year. they were together almost the entire time, like constantly mm. following each other around. Um, when Belichick would go over to defensive linemen or stuff, O'Brien did tend to hang back more with quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, what have you. But O'Brien and Belichick were uh, around each other a ton. That's really interesting. And interesting. It's like all these Alabama guys come out, which every year, of course, there's a dozen of them and there are some here. Like it, it's not going to be a surprise <laughs> if and probably when the Patriots draft Alabama guys, but I think it'll be especially telling if they draft offensive Alabama guys, uh, just given how familiar O'Brien will be with those players. So amid all of the coaching changes and, and pieces shuffling and promoting, you know, that I talked about a little bit. And if you really want to know what everyone's job was, please look that up online. But I think it's important, A, because it's good experience for what's largely a young and or inexperienced staff to cross-train across positions. And the most important one that cross-trained was Ross Douglas. Again, offensive coordinator, first-year coaching offense with the Patriots, second year on staff, and the first one was with the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship. He's not only as the offensive coordinator, he's coaching quarterbacks. He's not going to be coaching quarterbacks in 2023. That's what Bill O'Brien's doing. I mean, maybe he is as an assistant. That's a lot of trust in a 28-year-old guy who last year was hired, as I reported, the youngest position coach in the league. Now, Ross... You know, who knows about his future? But I think it's important for O'Brien to watch him in Sinceri and Evan Rothstein as auditions as much as the players are in front of O'Brien and Belichick because they're trying to decide, again, what the offensive staff is going to look like. And it's very much unsettled, not just the offensive staff, but the staff as a whole. We have reporting from your colleague, Jeff Howe, that Joe Judge will be back. It's just, if he's going to be back, I have a hard time believing it's going to be on offense which means then he goes to special teams. Then you have another domino falling of Cam Accord, all of which to say there's a lot still that's unsettled. But did you see any of that where you could tell O'Brien might have been studying the assistants as much as the players? Because, again, he's trying to determine with Belichick who he wants on the staff and where. For sure. I mean, this is kind of, you know, uh, it was a foil to the Falcons staff in a little bit in terms of, as you mentioned, these are all additions for a new offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien who needs to put this staff together and is apparently uh, interviewing candidates for his staff while here, while the Falcons have rounded out their staff, similar position um, in that they 
you know, they just hired a new defensive coordinator. So it's a little bit of still getting to know you. And so Arthur Smith has told them like, Hey, I would need everybody out of the office done working by dinner time. go get drinks together, eat a steak together, get to know each other, have some fun. Um, that is not the case, perhaps unsurprisingly <laughs> with the Patriots. I was going to say, God bless Arthur Smith. Yes. yes. <laughs> Arthur Smith uh, went to a concert with his wife on Saturday. I told everybody wow. like, Enjoy. If your family comes out, go hang out with them. This is a fun thing. This is a showcase. We don't need to take this too seriously. I don't, I'm not going to say that one side is better than the other. That's for you to decide. But uh, the Patriots decision has been drastically different in terms of, it sounds like it's been, give me 12 hours on the Shrine Bowl, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., prep and practice, watching tape, figuring out what you're going to do. And then after that, I don't want you to go explore Las Vegas and, you know, go see a, cool show um now it's time to put your patriots hat on and start prepping for free agency and we need to look at um all of these players who are going to be free agents and at your position tell me who you think is going to be good and not good so uh the patriots assistant coaches have not been wandering this strip with like a cool fat tuesday drink or something uh this has been very very much a business trip for them and that you know i think is primarily with Bill O'Brien too of, as you mentioned, trying to figure out this staff, which to go all the way back, I think is one of the main reasons that Bill O'Brien makes so much sense for this from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He knows what it's like to work for Belichick, which until you actually do it, all coaches have long hours, but until you work for Belichick and see just how minimal your outside football hours are and your fun hours are like, it's just, you know, Keenan McCarter may have been great, but it would have been, I think, a bit of a wake-up call to realize, wait a second, we're going to this like all-star game showcase of day three prospects that's really not all that important, and you want me working 16 hours a day on that? Bill O'Brien in, in Vegas, that. In yeah, Vegas, of all Opportunity places. cost is around every quarter, you know. While our colleagues are, you know, running up a nice tab uh, on, on blank and the Falcons check. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one last one, and then we'll pivot a little bit more to some of the players you see as fits and then some bigger questions for the team. You know, during the Combine, which is, you know, we have the Senior Bowl going on now, but the Combine is the next big event on the NFL calendar as far as the entire league gets together. They drink, they gossip. There are players who are timed and tested and lift and blah, blah, blah. The most important stuff is all off the field in the Barton restaurants, for media included, frankly. Um, how much of that went on at this event? Was there anything off the field where obviously our focus is what's on the field, but more importantly, there's stuff that's kind of going on besides the interviews that we talked about with, with uh, Wendell and possibly Clem. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It uh, perhaps it's good that it's dry January, not dry February with the combine <laughs> coming up and um, yes, just prep for that. And can confirm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this was a little bit different in terms of there were not that many general managers here, like the top level uh, people around the NFL are kind of going to the senior bowl as much as the NFL is doing what it can to prop up the shrine bowl and make it a bigger deal. Um, they want it to be kind of one, a one B with the senior bowl, even though right now it's viewed clearly by who is in attendance at each of those as the senior bowl is the more important one. The shrine bowls day three guys, the senior bowl has some first and second round picks there. Um, so it, it was not as much that it was a lot more of networking from the scout side, tons and tons of regional scouts, here to meet with each other. And I think people might be a little bit surprised to know, and this goes on at every sport. So it's not just football, but there's a lot of notebook sharing among scouts 
from different organizations, from rival franchises, frankly, of like, hey, what what do you see with that guy? Where do you have him graded? And it just is so counter to how you might think of it and as super competitive. But these are scouts who see each other all the time at these places. And there's a lot more getting a drink together on the strip. And, you know, are you are you guys going to have any openings on your staff? Um, what do you see from this player? So there's a little bit of that, but different from the combine in that there are not, there weren't that many like super high level movers here. And then as much as I kind of knock on Indianapolis from time to time, uh, it does go to show how nice it is to have basically three bars that people go to all within (laughs) walking distance, as opposed to the strip having a thousand bars just in one hotel on a four mile stretch. Uh, So it's a little bit more difficult to just, run into people by happenstance. And then of course, as we mentioned with the Patriots hours that the coaching staff was keeping, they were 100% uh, not hanging out at the Bellagio fountains and and sipping a fun drink there. They were, they were working the entire time for better or worse. Okay. So the Patriots officially had the most boring trip to Vegas ever taken. I hope that's not true for you work aside because you know what you get four days in Vegas, including two uh, days in the weekend. You got to make the most of it. Okay, so if you've been to the gym lately, you realize a lot of those folks are the New Year's resolutions, New Year, New Me, starting to wear up, but starting to thin out. Maybe you are one of those people committed to being healthier, maybe losing weight, otherwise just feeling better about yourself. Whether you're still at the gym or you're not, I'm here to help because I want to tell you about Athletic Greens, something that if you've been following the podcast, you know I started midseason and has really helped me in a number of different ways. I started taking AG1 because they wanted to sleep better. I wanted to recover at the gym and just feel better day to day going down to Gillette to start covering the Patriots. And here's why it might work for you. It is lifestyle friendly. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free, this has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs. As I mentioned, it helps support better sleep quality and recovery, sometimes mental clarity and alertness. And it's one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of best products, organic, all in the latest science, costs less than $3 a day. You pour it into a smoothie, a drink, whatever works for you. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself and trying to pick and choose. There's just too many. We've all been to the store. Okay. So right now, it's time for you to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. As mentioned, it's one scoop and a cup of water per day, smoothie, whatever you want to do. That's it. One cup. One scoop, no need for a million different pills. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, go to visit athleticgreens.com slash garden. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash garden to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, back to the field. Uh, Prospects, you mentioned Zay Flowers, Boston College receiver, some talk is he a day one guy is the early day two. There's a long way to go with that. Again, I promise the draft content is coming on this podcast. I still need some time. Um, besides him, who do you see as Patriot fits when you were up close with all these guys for four or five practices? So I admittedly spent a lot of time looking at receivers because I do think that is, while there's a lot of pressing questions, including offensive tackle and cornerback, to me, wide receivers is both a the most fun to um, watch and figure out, but it's also just frankly, I think the most pressing. You need to make a decision on Mac Jones and his fifth year option after this upcoming season. You've given him a real offensive coordinator. Now the last step is you need to give him weapons. 
Um, just re-signing Jacoby Myers is not enough, even, and that is no given either. So um, back to the well you go, I think, for an early wide receiver, whether it's first round or um, beyond, I think you kind of have to come away with a wide receiver on day one or two. Um, so in that vein, Zay Flowers was the best one here. He didn't do a ton because he does not want to get hurt. He wants to be around the Patriots coaches and in the meetings and by all accounts did very well, but he only practiced one time. And it was basically because uh, every cornerback here wants to show that, you know, in his words, they can shut him down. And so it's going to be a little extra grabbing and hand fighting and just play it safe. Don't get injured. Uh, so he was the best one here, but didn't do a whole lot. After that, I think a really interesting option is A.T. Perry from Wake Forest. A bigger body, which I think the Patriots could use. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Nelson. Well, we kind of know what's going to happen with Nelson Aguilar. He's probably going to sign elsewhere. Um, I don't know that Devontae Parker is just a shoe in to return. Um, and so it, regardless, I do think that you could use a bigger body receiver. You've got ideally Tyquan Thornton developing as your downfield guy. You've got potentially if he resigns Jacoby Myers underneath, you could use more of a possession receiver. Um, and I think that is what Perry provides. He's six, five, but he's not like a, you know, a stiff can't run route six, five. He T Higgins is too high of a compliment, um, but kind of a, a poor man's T Higgins. So he jumped out. Uh, there's a Florida receiver, Justin shorter, who had a couple of big plays. Troy Brown worked with a ton and was often with him and, Cast bumping him after some plays. Uh, fun to see Troy Brown kind of bring back the the swift, you know, he ran 40 yards downfield to go celebrate with him. And uh, he looks like he could still return a punt if you needed him to. Troy's um, Jack. Troy's but, ripped every yeah. time we talk to Troy, even over Zoom. I'm like, GD, I need to get back to the gym. Like, he, the man yeah. might be in better shape than he was at the end of his career. It's unbelievable. It's insane. He's crazy. Um I'll give you, I guess, a couple more. Liberty receiver Demario Douglas, uh, super small, shifty slot guy that I think you could use whether or not you resign Jacoby Myers. Like If you do, great. Have him learn behind him. If not, um, I think he's a guy who could develop into that role that the Patriots have been so good at and ran, frankly, so well when Bill O'Brien was last year with Wes Welker leading the league in receptions, targets, yards, whatever else he did. Um, and then, you know, we talked a little bit about the running backs. Minnesota running back Muhammad Ibrahim, who put up massive numbers in college. Um, I, I was impressed with not just that with his running style, which I think is well-documented playing in the Big Ten and cold weather and putting up tons of yards. He's got good hands and ran decent routes. And I don't know that he's like a true scat back that the Patriots may want, um, depending on if they choose that role and what happens with Montgomery. But uh Somebody like that, I think, is interesting, almost in like a Ramondre Stevenson role of, yeah, good ball carrier, but this is a guy who can pass block and um, catch some passes too. Uh, I didn't spend a ton of time watching safety, but I don't know about you. That's That to me is safety and tight end are kind of like the positions to me that are super interesting as potential Patriots fits um, that are not like on the same level as wide receiver, cornerback, offensive tackle, but spots that good teams would be looking at the future of that position, developing somebody to come in there, knowing 
you know, who knows what's going to happen with John Smith a year from now or Hunter Henry this year or a year from now or Adrian well, Let's, let's stay with tight ends because this ties into some of the guys that were there. And what are your other colleagues at The Athletic? Nate Tice tweeted about Jack Coletta from Oregon State, who also played some fullback. And I took note of this because, as we both watched and knew last year, the Patriots got rid of the fullback position. This was a one-back offense in every single iteration. And they asked John Smith, oh, can you pop back in the backfield for some lead runs or some split zone? And like, okay, that's fine. It doesn't count. But Coletto is a hybrid player that could bring back some of that those two-back concepts in your colleague Nate Tice from The Athletic brought up as someone who's versatile, had some ball skills, could unlock some more of that creativity not, you know, a Kyle Juszczyk out in San Francisco, but something similar. Did Coletto pop to you at all? A little bit. I think anybody who is in that role automatically gets paired to Kyle Juszczyk just because <laughs> he's so good and um, and got paid and was kind of the only one to do that. So I think teams would be wise to look for that. Um, it, I think it will be telling if they go out and find a guy like that of a little bit more of what Bill O'Brien is looking for. Um, I do think whether it's him or somebody else, I don't, I don't know what you think, but you need another tight end. You've got two on the roster so for sure. Need another one, but just knowing that the John Smith thing hasn't really worked out like you hoped when you signed him next year's the year that you can more easily um, get out of that. This feels like a good opportunity to choose a day three tight end, somebody that you can develop. They're your third tight end this year, fourth or fifth round, something like that. And then if they play great or begin to develop, awesome. You've got your number two tight end next season. If they don't, no sweat. It was a fifth-round pick. We'll go look for somebody else. Um, so I I really think that uh, they'll be going that route. One oddity, I guess, is that was the only position for the Patriots that they did not assign a position coach. Um, they just had them either work in with receivers or Bill O'Brien would pop by and mm -hmm. help, but they didn't have a position coach for tight end, um, which is a little bit odd, uh, perhaps just because they didn't have as many people on staff when you don't have an offensive line coach and a tight end coach maybe up in the air. Um, maybe it was a numbers thing. Maybe it, there's you can read more into it, but they did not have a tight ends coach here for coaching the Shrine Bowl. Yeah, and that comes back to Nick Cayley, obviously the Patriots tight end. His contract is set to expire. Interview for the Jets offensive coordinator job. The Patriots job didn't get either of them. His future seems to be uncertain. He's 40 now. Um, his name has been floated a lot, even on this podcast, by myself and other people. I'm not sure how much interest there is for a larger role. Obviously, those interviews are a good sign. But when you look at the production from that position the last few years, like you just talked about John Smith being a real downer. Maybe, maybe he didn't want him on the roster or was involved in the free agency decision because before John Smith got here was heralded, including by yours truly is this kind of underlying analytics. Like the separation is really good. He breaks tackles. Yeah. He's never top 500 yards in a season, but it's coming. Never did totally with. So I don't know if that was more than just, Hey, Nick's not going to come. We'll just figure it out while we're there. Uh, or maybe that's a position like we talked about with offensive line that they may need to address uh, moving forward. So I think that's it's a larger conversation later on, later on. But I think it's interesting that they did opt not to slide anyone in there because it's also a complicated position. But if you're one of those tight ends at the Shrine Bowl, you're like, I, I would like to be coached. I would not like to be treated <laughs> as a receiver or a part time tight end. Like, what the heck? 
Yeah, it's it was an interesting situation because they, they would basically either be an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. And there wasn't much just, hey, you do your own thing here. Uh, and it's just a spot that uh, fascinates me along with safety for the Patriots this offseason. So, yeah, um, you mentioned we'll safety. Those decisions, I think, starts with Devin McCourty, right? Does he retire? Does he not? Even if he does, I don't think he comes back and plays 98% of the defensive snaps like we've become accustomed to. They were limiting him a little bit towards the end of the year. Uh, but he could resign for one year. They could bring back Jabril Pepper. So I think proved he was a real fit, even as someone who had the experience in Patrick Graham's system in New York. And obviously he's built like a box safe. I mean, he's built like a box. Forget the safety part. He's he's absolutely rocked up. Um, but we'll save that for another day. I want to get into one more question just for you, and then we'll do mailbag stuff. Um, your personal takeaway. First year in the Patriots beat, we already hit on some differences. They do, they go to Vegas, they don't already. Uh, obviously, we see five seconds of practice. I don't want any of this 0.0% to come off as complaining about it. I'm just asking for you to illuminate folks on you know your experience in Minnesota, both covering the NFL and NHL, and what it was like here in New England. I, I would say two things that are going to sound kind of competing and like they couldn't be true. I think the first thing that was a takeaway just from having done this for one full season now is – a locker room's a locker room. Like it doesn't matter if it's the Patriots with closely guarded secrets or, you know, the Arizona Cardinals without a ton of media people there. Like the guys are football players. They've been several places. That was not a big change to me. I was a little bit worried of, you know, I know players in the Vikings locker room. Is it going to be so different now going to the Patriots where is Bill Belichick going to have told everybody do not talk a certain way. And sure, there's a little bit of that. But by and large, um, you can go up to these guys and do your interviews and tell their stories and write features on them. And that is not different. What is drastically different, and I know that people know this and I knew this, but I don't think I knew this to quite this level. I came from Minnesota where they had just switched out Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, brought in Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell. And their buzzword that became something that we kind of frankly mocked was collaboration. Everything was, every coach is going to have a say in this. Every scout is going to have a say in this. We're going to listen to analytics. We're going to listen to our scouts. We're going to take everybody's opinion, blend it together. And that's how we're going to come to decisions. And um, to say that is the uh, drastic polar opposite of the Patriots, I think would even be uh, doing it unjustly. I did not realize quite to the level that, Bill Belichick has control over every single tiny thing down to, it wouldn't surprise me like the flowers in front of Gillette stadium. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that he lords over all of that and it's very singular. So I went from like super collaboration. Everybody gets to say to, this is my decision and my way. And I don't care if it makes other people miserable. And I don't care if I come off as a jackass or mean, uh, this is how I am doing it great. You want to stay awesome. You can stay, but this is how we're doing it. And if you don't want to stay goodbye, the door's right there. Uh, so seeing just to the level that I think Belichick works his employees and is so singularly um, making decisions, frankly, was a bit surprising, even knowing his reputation coming in. Yeah, which of course makes, you know, the last few weeks so interesting, right? How much of this is a tug and pull negotiation with the crafts that just never would have happened in the first place. But when you're 25 and 26 over the last three years, you know, there needs to be changes. And that's something he said himself uh, in that final press conference. They need to be better. It starts with him, et cetera, et cetera. It's just 
you know, Bill O'Brien having more input in the offensive staff, something that might not have happened before, but he's a guy with head coaching experience, obviously an offensive coordinator in multiple spots. Like he, I don't think he's loosening the reins. I think he's understanding that one man can't have all the answers and obviously has in the last few years. And that's also been one of his strengths though, is identifying talent in the coaching ranks and knowing how to delegate, you know, to people around you who have earned it. Bill O'Brien's certainly done that. You look at the rest of the staff, that's where most of the problems were. Uh, which obviously trace back to him. But enough on last year. Moving forward, we have three mailbag questions. We'll get through them quickly, all via Twitter. Let's lead off with Marco. You talked about this, actually, um, right off the top. Marco wants to know, quote, maybe it's wishful thinking, but with the coaches having such a close look at the prospects, are your hopes slash expectations for this year's draft class much higher than in the past? You mentioned these are mostly day two, day three guys. Do you think there's a real tangible benefit there? Because as you mentioned, there are a ton of different scouts standing on the sidelines as well. I do think that there is a benefit. I just think it's a marginal benefit that has to do with your fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. Um, to kind of put it in perspective, I was reminded by that Vikings scout. The Vikings had this. They were there. I didn't go to it, but they coached the Shrine Bowl in 2019. Um, it's mostly day three picks, but they had two six round selections that year. Uh, Oli Udo was one of them who they coached at the Shrine Bowl and Armin Watts was the other one who they coached at the Shrine Bowl and felt really good about those selections because their coaches had advocated for them, worked for them in the position room, said, hey, this guy is taking the coaching. He's raw. He's a sixth or seventh round pick for a reason. But we think that there's a lot more to get out of this guy than perhaps other teams are realizing just based on their traits and college production. Um, I would say that they hit on both of those six round picks. They didn't turn into, you know, Pro Bowlers, but if you're getting multi-year production and occasional starts from your six-round picks, as those two six-round picks turned into, that's probably a win. So um, I think there's a definite advantage, and it helps. It's just I think it boosts your chances of a successful six or seventh-round pick from very low to pretty low. So it, it's not <laughs> something that I think nails their first-round pick and means the draft class is going to be uh, like that Kyle Duggar one. But you know what? I a first of all, that's a tremendous example and and just experience to cite because you know the staff was there. This is how it helped. This is how it translated, and these are the benefits. Not only just this is what I think, but it happened with the twenty nine Vikings. You're married. I'm engaged. If we were to go back out and you could have that little help or bump or two days with someone that increased your chances of someone that you covered from pretty low to low. You're taking that. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll take the marginal benefit and bump and percentage chances of landing this girl, this prospect or whatever it is. So Marco be satisfied. I'm from a distance in agreement with Chad defer to his experience uh, and time there, but yeah, pretty little low, especially in those later rounds. Um, you'll take it. All right. Dave on Twitter wants to know what will judges role be next season and why is still, he's still here. Uh, it's a little mean. And why does it appear that Cam Accord is still running special teams? I got the judge blowback. There were a lot of uh, things in the story I published last week that had to deal with his coaching style. His presence in meetings did not go over well. I, again, want to remind people, I think this coaching staff is in flux. The titles, the roles have not been nailed down. If they're not able to hire, say, an offensive line coach uh, is the way they want to, or a tight ends coach if Nick Cayley leaves. Like, there are still so many moving parts that I think there's a world in which Joe Judge goes to special teams and for whatever reason, they're slow playing that. Or maybe he works into an assistance tight ends coach or an assistant receives coach or some other support role in offense where he's not the lead coach overstepping and under delivering. So 
we can't say for certain unless you have brand new reporting that you should probably just run to the athletic and write about instead of saying on my podcast. But that's that's there are things that are still in motion. Um, and, and Judge will be back, as we know, from from Jeff. Howe. The other part of this that's interesting to me as I was kind of watching him and, and Cam was completely running the show with special teams mm-hmm. um, is what and I don't know the answer to this, but was just kind of thinking about it is what is Joe Judge envision five years from now, 10 years from now? I would imagine knowing these coaches and that they all have big egos and all think that they should be the ones running the ship that he probably wants to be a head coach again. And he probably feels like he's learned a lot from um, the poor results in New York with the giants. Um, and, and I wonder if he thinks if I want to be a head coach again, I don't know that going back and going back to being the special teams coach for Bill Belichick is his best route to one day becoming a head coach again, or if it is more to go a traditional route be a tight ends coach and then get promoted to offensive line coach and then get promoted to quarterback coach and then get promoted to offensive coordinator and work your way up as so many do and have in that sense. Um, and yet, of course, even if he says, Hey, that's the route I want to go. It doesn't mean that Belichick has to grant that um, right. at the end of the day, as discussed, Belichick could, if he wanted to say, screw you, you're the tight ends coach or you're not, or you're the special teams coach or you're nothing. Um, we have mentioned that he is singularly making decisions, so it will come down to that. But uh, that's the part of me that wonders what does Joe judge want and how much would he advocate for himself if he didn't want to do special teams? I don't know if that's the case, but that's just something I was thinking about as he hung out with the offense this week. Yeah, it's uh, his future is certainly very murky. And I think given that his stock was low when the Patriots brought him back and made him quarterback's coach, obviously a big favor and a lot of trust from Belichick, who thinks very highly of him, was not the right role or the fit uh, with the player, the room, the position, all of it went bad. So his stock has still continued to go down. And I think when you're at that point, it's not a matter of, okay, what does the top of the ladder look like? Or how can I get out of this hole? It's how can I take one step forward as opposed to continuing to slide back down and deeper into that hole, which is where he is, which isn't to say a bad job, a bad position. You have a job in the NFL, you know, that's a good job to have. It's well-paying. He's still working in and around football. Just if he's coming back to New England and clearly failed last year, like, I don't know where else he could go. And at this point, you just have to accept whatever role that Belichick gives you. Thankfully, Bill still thinks highly of Joe. And I think Joe has plenty of time if he wants to eventually work his way back up to being a head coach. It's just nothing you can really think about now because there's there's just no immediate path to that or even the five-year plan that you laid out. Um, Last one from Jim on Twitter. Should the Patriots resign Jacoby Myers? Or trade for a wide receiver. If you do want them to trade, who would you target? I've covered this, wrote about it. Um, names, Jerry Judy, Keenan Allen, Hopkins out there. That seems less likely now with Bill O'Brien on board. T. Higgins, people have thrown out. So AD resigned Jacoby. A, this is obviously a matter of price, but let's say it's 12, 13 million to some project. And then if not, are you trading for someone? 12, 13 million, I definitely resign it. If it gets to 15, 16 with tons of guaranteed money, that's when I would pump the brakes. But I think the goal should be yes, re-sign him. Would think that it would make a ton of sense if you can go the trade route for Judy or Higgins. I'm super skeptical on Higgins. I get that everybody's like, you're gonna have to pay yeah. Joe and Jamar. They're on the doorstep of a Super Bowl. You cross that bridge when you absolutely have to, and not a second before. Squeeze out every bit of this window if, uh, as you can if you're the Bengals. So I, I'm skeptical that you could get him. But if you get Judy, I think you sign up for that. Make that happen. 
I think the more likely route is not a trade, but yes to re-signing Jacoby Myers and then drafting somebody in the first or second round. And then you hope that Tyquan Thornton has taken some meaningful steps this offseason and is going to have some sort of year two boost. And if that's the case, then perhaps you start to feel better. But it's it's a position that I think very badly needs an upgrade and yet unfortunately does not have a lot of easy answers just because of how bad the free agency wide receiver blast looks like it's going to be as you know i think patriots fans have known for six months now yeah and i i keep stressing this for whenever it comes about it should be you know second week of march and you find out about jacoby myers as he stayed as he go just keep price in mind again this is what it comes down to the patriots of course would love to have jacoby myers model citizen, leading receiver for three consecutive seasons. Guy can play inside now, serviceable. Just we'll find out how much in the friend zone he is with NFL executive versus one or two that might fall for him because of the production of the guy he is in the locker room or they have the money or, you know, just it's an expatriate staff out there, whatever it might be. And the price is going to determine whether he comes back or not, I believe. He wants to be here. He's on the record saying that. If, there's, if they can come close to market value and still be able to add weapons around him, I think they do it. The X factor, just as you mentioned, is what if some team like the Chicago Bears that has more money than they know what to do with needs wide receivers like, yeah, we'll we'll throw tons of money at you. We don't care. We have unlimited money, a rookie contract quarterback. We just need weapons for this guy. Like, come here and we'll we'll give you a four million more a year than whatever the Patriots would offer. That is kind of the X factor. And then I really don't know what you do if you don't resign him because things get pretty bleak fast and all of a sudden you're you're really throwing out some high draft picks in a trade. Cause I think you start to get a little bit desperate. Yeah. And then you're down to Devonte Parker, Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton under contract and, and that's it. So yeah, in that case, I think they definitely draft a receiver, but uh, as mentioned, plenty of time left for the draft, plenty of time to have you Chad back. You got a flight to go catch. Thank you to athletic greens. Thank you to bet online, the com app uh, sponsors as always for supporting this podcast, as well as Chad, you survived Vegas. It sounded like, just a step above the Patriots experience in Vegas, but he'll, he'll be back. The Patriots will be back next year. So we'll, we'll have a little more exciting time next time. Perfect. I'm going to go have my athletic greens and recover and, and survive <laughs> this somehow. Thanks my guy. The Pats Interference podcast is powered by athletic greens. Build a foundation for better health with AG1. The Pats Interference Podcast is powered by America's number one online sports book, Bet Online.